Welcome everybody to another episode of RM Sotheby's Car Show. This week we're going to be speaking to Amy Shaw, um, automotive photographer. Well, not just automotive. Well, hang on, we'll talk about that. In this context, we're talking about cars. Um, and actually, first off, Amy, you and I essentially now have the same surname. It's just I, a different spelling. Slightly different spelling. I, 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 when I saw when I saw your, your surname, I thought, ah, another Haynes. I can now another say Haynes. another Haynes. Yeah. An H-A-Y-N-E-S. See, anyone, if I give my name, people will instinctively spell it H-A-I-N-E-S. Mm-hmm. So then normally I have to put them right. Then <laughs> So H-A-Y-N-E-S. Then when I say my name is Haynes, because I've worked nearly all, pretty much all my life in the motor industry, they go, oh, do you make the car manuals? And I go, <laughs> I don't get the car manuals. Uh, but H-E, you're H-E-Y-N-E-S, aren't you? That's it, yeah. That's, a bit, that's even rarer. That's rare. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So I, I went from from Shaw, which is still my, still my business name, of, oh, no, it's not S-H-A-W, it's S-H-O-R-E, to just spelling, it's H-A-Y-N-E-S. So, um, yeah, no, I don't actually know um, many. I've met one of the Haynes that spelt, apart from the obvious kind of family ties currently, uh, mm. one stranger Haynes spelt my way. But, um, yeah, no, there's there's not very many of us. So, uh, yeah, and it's, but yeah, it's nice to meet another Haynes generally. <laughs> ne- nearly spelled the same. But professionally, <laughs> you're going to stay Amy Shaw. Yes. I was, this was a really quite a difficult decision, actually, because I was thinking, um, you know, because personally, I've now gone to Amy Haynes, um, but it's really Amy Shaw that's built the uh, the ten year. Yeah, it's, the, it's Amy Shaw as the brand, and it's Amy Shaw that built the the ten year career that I've that I've got to here. So I just feel it'd be a bit of a disservice to the Amy Shaw name if I was just like, oh, screw that now. That's it's Amy Haynes now. So uh, no, it's it's Amy Haynes as the director of Amy Shaw Photography Limited. So um, yeah, okay. I can get called either end; uh, it'll still still stick. <laughs> it's, that is a bit of a dilemma, isn't it? It's it's not one that us chaps really have to deal with, isn't it? Which seems a bit unfair. But, um... It's well. I mean, there was a discussion that if I didn't change my name at all, then I just thought I've kind of liked the idea. I like to uh, just. I don't know. I've always quite liked the idea of taking a husband's name, but um, it's just not from a, like I'm a I'm a def- definite feminist, and I wouldn't ever say like everybody should or anything like that. But I just quite like the idea of it. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it was a dilemma that I didn't quite expect when I was a teenager, thinking, oh, what should I you know change my name to when I'm when I'm older, and you know who am I going to get married to? Because I never thought that I'd have a a self-employed business that I'd have my my name on the package as such. So uh, yeah, it's it's a nice dilemma to have. Yeah, and it's um yes, I mean it's it's I mean and with photography, you you know really you know you can't come up with some spurious name, you know can you you know the the, the generic name because and, and this is perhaps quite a nice way to start getting into the conversation. I think in particular, for, photographers, um are very reliant or, or, or a big part of building the business is personal relationships, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's you, you are your brand. Yes, you can't absolutely. get around that. You know. Yeah, it's which is a, a nice thing, but at the same time, it does make it difficult if I ever want to not step away, but maybe like slow down. Or I know some people that've got, um, you know, I, I've been hired as a photographer for somebody else's brand for certain shoots, and I find you, I could still do that, but I'd find it a little bit more difficult if you're expecting Amy Shaw to show up at the shoot and then you get Amy Shaw's associate or whatever. It's, it doesn't mm-hmm. quite work because, especially mm-hmm. when it comes down to something that's very artistic and you know, it's it's the way that I shoot in my eye and. Like you can't, it's not really something you can often um, hire other people to go and do. You can you can hire second shooters. So when I used to be a wedding photographer, 
either I used to be a second shooter for somebody else or that person would be mine. And you kind of shoot in a similar way, but only one of us would edit it, for example, and one of us have, would have the client relationship. So um, as you said, it, a lot of the kind of, especially when you're in artistic role, a lot of it comes from client uh discussions and, and and i want to say networking but it's a, it's a bad way of, of saying it um yeah just the, the relationship that you have with those clients and even those individual people that then move to another part of the industry but you get to stay kind of connected to that person and so you end up doing something else and yeah no exactly that so it's um it's not something i can really hire somebody else to do to then be like oh go do my photography and fan me with a fig leaf kind of thing <laughs> yeah and, and and it's i mean many years ago back in the 90s well, no, even even further, I was going to say, well, I, in late 90s, I was working as a journalist at Autocar. But even before that, I worked for Caterham Cars, sort of in a salesy marketing role back then. And we were using photographers. I was working with photographers working on Caterham stuff. And I'm going back to like 1993, 1994, long time ago. And I still have working relationships with some of those mm. photographers now and certainly a lot of the when i was at autocar a lot of the freelance photographers well we had staff photographers stan papier who i still know and and other and other sort of freelancers that would get involved in doing shoots for the magazine you know i'm i i still work with the, them now and that that is the nature of these personal relationships isn't it that you build in the industry yeah exactly and it's quite lovely because especially when you're in an industry that's so small like that the the car or um, the car industry or even the classic car industry even smaller um it's nice to see what become your your friends or you know your good acquaintances that you you see for years also develop and change their lives as well and it's kind of nice because you have these little like um i don't know you just kind of see these people grow and develop and, and you know the jobs that, and the roles that they do so i've got friends that kind of joined the industry a similar time to when i joined when i was 22 something like that and obviously when you the the jobs you start off at, as a 22 year old and where you end up as a 32 year old or when you're going to end up as a 42 year old and so on and it's nice it's, you know I, I feel quite proud to know some of these people throughout that their whole career as well so that's really quite special. Yeah, no, and I guarantee, you know, when you're elderly like me, you'll still be working <laughs> with people that you, that, 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 you know, you've been working with in your 20s. Um, so I had a read of your website. And um, the revealing thing about that is that you don't have a single qualification in photography. <laughs> No, not a single thing. You know, what's funny is that my parents came and stayed at, at our house this last weekend while we were away. And my mum has brought over a massive black bin bag of all of my old schoolwork that she can't bear to let put, put in the bin herself, but she doesn't want it in her house. So she's come to drop it off at mine. So just before I came on, on, on this, um, I was actually looking through all these things to, to see what things I could get rid of. And it's funny because you just kind of look through the, all these things I've, I've done, like qualification, schooling things, and not a single thing. I don't think I picked up a camera until I was, and it was, it was a 13 maybe, and that was a little tiny handheld digital thing and not an, uh, like a DSLR until I was 16. So, um, yeah, and it was just something that I never thought there'd be any point getting a qualification in something artistic because I just thought, well, you're either good at it or you're not, aren't you? So like, I can't sing, for example. I'm not a very good painter. There's no point if I got a qualification. doesn't necessarily mean that I've, I'm good at it. I've just ticked the boxes to say I can do certain yeah. things, which is, a, I think, are two different things. So, um, yeah, which is uh, it's not so far. Nobody's actually asked me for my qualifications as a photographer, which is a good thing. So um, now I just well, have to... You know, you know what? I mean, yeah, that's like... Um... I said to my son who did his GCSEs recently, I said, 
he did all right actually but i said don't worry no one's no one's ever going to ask you for your GCSE <laughs> certificate no, um, i don't think i've ever were. had to ever no, had to show anything I don't, think, I, I don't think i've ever showed any kind of a qualification i might right. as well have told everyone i've got a first from cambridge and <laughs> no one no one's ever asked me to disprove it or prove it um so okay so you, you had your first dslr at at 16. So that I suppose that's still relatively young, isn't it? So and and a DSLR is quite a big purchase. So obviously by 16 you were you were thinking, yeah, I'm 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 enjoying this. This this is fun. Yeah, um the way I, I explain it to people is that I'm an uh, impatient artist. So I just like to create things and quickly because I can't be bothered to spend too much time on it or, or something. So especially when the you know the digital cameras became much more of a thing. I think my dad had a DSLR first and you know even my camera at 16 I think was something like 150 quid off eBay second hand or some you know it wasn't an expensive purchase at all. Um and so I just liked the fact that I could take a picture and then see it immediately on the back of a screen and then know that I could plug it into my computer later and have it on a screen, print it off and then, you know, the same day kind of thing. I, I did enjoy doing a lot of fine art, especially when I was a teenager and then when I went into university. And you might spend like, I don't know, three days on a painting, like minimum. Um, sometimes longer if it wasn't doing very well. <laughs> so I, I went to university and studied something called design crafts, where I had a mixture of uh, glass blowing, ceramics, textiles, you know, mixed, uh, this kind of mixture of, of, of artistic things. And like the people doing glass or ceramics, it'd be days before they'd be able to see their thing, which might have blown up in a kiln. And then, um, yeah, I quite liked doing photography, but at university I was, I was a metalsmith. And so again, you could walk huh. into the workshop in the morning and come out later in the afternoon with a, um, with a thing that you had made. So uh, yeah, I liked oh. the impatientness. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, you froze for a moment there. Yeah, you I, froze too. You know, okay, okay. I'm not sure what happened there. But anyway, anyway, I'm sure yes. our listeners will forgive a little a little free. It's funny. <laughs> I, um, so I quite enjoyed photography, but obviously when I, in my youth, it was all film. Um, and it's and I still have got my Pentax SLR film camera in a bag in the top of a cupboard and haven't had it out for years. I did a video Tom May, a guy that does quite a lot of videography for videography for us, we went off to do an interview with Damon Hill, and um, he, midway through the interview, Tom pulled out this really old um, SLR. It, it, it looked a little bit like a Leica, but it wasn't. It was sort of a, a cheaper kind of copy of a Leica, but it was old and um, with film. And he started, and Damon Hill said, "Wow," he said, "Let me have a look at that camera." Um, and we all sort of um, were, were marvelling over just how nicely crafted it was. And it felt very heavy as well, felt nice in the hand because it was all sort of, you know, old school, heavy metal. And But anyway, what you forget is, of course, photography back then, you didn't get instant gratification, did you? Mm -hmm. So you've got to you put a roll of film in 36 exposures and you take your pictures and you haven't got a clue what you've got until you sort of send it off to have it developed and get the prints back. And nine times out of 10, you look at all the prints and go, oh, my God, this is rubbish. But, <laughs> but, but the other thing is, is you, you forget how with digital photography, because we've all got a camera on our phones. And so a lot of us will just sort of, you know, if you go on holiday, you might shoot. 80 pictures in a day right and you don't even think about it they're just go going onto a onto a like a hard drive because he was saying now because film is obviously not used is it really i think he was saying like a roll of film is 20 pounds is 20 quid 
to buy. So for 36 pictures, and then it costs like, another 20 quid to get the, the, the film developed. Yeah, it's madness and it's so expensive. People have started, there's been a, a complete rise recently in um, people using film and film cameras in the last five years, but also things like uh, cassettes. I think people are starting to play cassettes again and vinyl is, is obviously massive. Yeah. So um, people do use it. And I think in that case, it will start to get cheaper if it continue being as, um, you know, people wanted to use it as much as they kind of are yeah. in it. Um, but like personally to, to shoot, for example, The Good Old Revival on film, I'd love the, if I ever went just for fun one year, just uh, pure fun, I probably would give it a go because I think it'd be a really good laugh trying to do it. But as you said, you'd probably come away with two good pictures or something like that. But when you're shooting for a client, like over Revival, I might come back with 10,000 pictures from three days or something like that. Oh my God. Um, and I usually get anywhere between... Um, it used to be like 10% hit rate, and now it's about 30% hit rate. So there's still quite a lot of images, um, depending on what I'm shooting, who I'm shooting for. Um, but that is why, like, the majority of my, um, the people, the photographers that have influenced my work have all been, like, all film photographers. So all people that had to get those shots there and then on film. And I just think to myself, man, if you can do that then, with that equipment then, I can definitely do a decent job or try and do a decent job with this modern equipment and the ability to go, that was rubbish, I'll do that one more time. Um, and so like, you know, look at some of these these old, literally on my coffee, coffee table here, I've got a stack of 22 um, photographs that have been printed by the National Motor Museum. And um, they are all all from, from different years of Le Mans. And I just look at some of these things and I think, my word, just for you to be in the right place, the right time to think I'd better lift my camera at this point and then to also have the settings and just think, this is going to work out, I'm sure. I just, absolute madness. And then, like, you know, people say to me, whatever, want to shoot with lighting or, you know, do a bit more com kind of commercial stuff. And I think that's a whole different skill in, on, its, in, on its own. But for me, it was the thinking about those old photographers and the way they had nothing and they just thought, I've just yeah. shoot what so I can. Sort now. of um, uh, Clementaski and th th yes. those, yeah, that that era. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, they, and they didn't even have a motor drive on their cameras, did they? I'm assuming. <laughs> so, so like you've got you know one shot, wind it on, get the next yeah. shot, and just keep so, going and keep going. Yeah, and just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you were quite a long way into your photography career before you ever photographed a car. Isn't that right? Not really my career. My interest, yes, but not quite my career. So okay. with with my interest, um, so yeah, getting a camera at 16, between the age of 16 and maybe 22, the majority of the things that I would shoot would be either like friends, you know, just the, the, the normal stuff as you just kind of have a camera and enjoy it. Um, and then weddings. Weddings were really where I started and got into things. So I did kind of have a basic client base because obviously most of the time you have a one-shot client when it comes to weddings. So I, I've, I've been asked a couple of times if I can shoot second weddings and I found it a bit weird and said, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm busy. So, um, but no, otherwise it's, they're not really repeat customers. So um, it's usually like their mates. So like, if you shoot a good wedding, then like three of their mates might be like, oh, I quite liked uh, what, you know, what Amy shot. So, you know, we'll hire her as well, so on and so forth. So by the time I, I graduated, I'd, I'd had a few of those. And that's where I thought I was just gonna not go into being a wedding photographer, but I thought I'd do wedding photography like, I know a handful a year as a bit of extra pocket money and have a normal job on the you know doing the day-to-day -day stuff um so it wasn't until yeah when i when i graduated um and then kind of shot an amazing wedding the goodwood revival for fun and um friends of mine built a replica ferrari p4 and those three things basically all kind of picked up their own jobs from that and that's where 
it it all basically snowballed from there. So um, the P4 was built by an amazing company called RM um, Wilson Engineering, and they just wanted me to photograph like bits, the bits that they had engineered um, before right. the car went off to the to, to the the owner in America. I had no idea what I was doing, so I googled the night before how do I take pictures of cars. I literally had no idea. Um, you know, and it comes back with all these uh, loads of flash and loads of artificial lighting and amazing backdrops. And I was like, well, I've got a, a kind of a driveway with a couple of nice garage doors behind and one camera, two lenses. And I'll just, again, I just thought, oh, if, you know, these old, at the time it was war photographers that I was interested in. And um, kind of like old photojournalists, Harry Benson was one of my mm. my big inspirations. Um, and I just thought, well, if they can photograph stuff, just out and about then i'm sure it'll be fine and so um yeah those pictures ended up going quite viral on the internet which is where which really got my first kind of two car clients um then i shot revival for just for fun because my dad took me um because he was like I, I know you're not that interested in cars but i think you'd like all the people in yeah, revival. That, that's the thing with the revival isn't it is that everywhere you look there's like a feast for the eye, isn't mm -hmm. there? Or, yeah. or a feast for the lens. It's like yes. there's something, somebody looking amazing or something that's a little bit crazy. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, that, that it's such a great for a photographer. It's just like goldmine, isn't it? Honestly, it's, it's, it's so beautiful because that was definitely the thing that got me into cars because I wasn't really interested in cars up to that point. It was, I had a car, I, had a, I did have a classic Mini. So it was obviously sort of interesting cars but not overly i wouldn't like be desperate to go to car shows and you know mm -hmm. i wasn't interested in the festival speed particularly um so it was one of these where i was just interested in the people and the pure aesthetic nature around classic cars and that was that is probably still the main interest that i have in the classic car world just pure aesthetic and you know when you've got these cars starting in the morning and all the exhaust fumes are all being lit by the sun you think mm, that's just as, as a as a photographer it's all of that that i think the the automotive world produced these amazing photographs um and again as you said that the, the people the majority of my favorite shots from any revival i've ever shot have been certain people shots or, or where there's a person with a car. I don't think there's very many pictures where I'm like, that's an amazing shot of a car that I'm really happy with. Nine times out of 10, it's all because of a person in it or a couple of people. So. Yeah. In a minute, we'll come on to your dis quite distinctive style um, because I think that there aren't, it's quite rare, I think. I mean, I've been looking at car photography all of my career, really. Um, and it, it's quite rare to be able to look at a photograph and think that you probably know who took it. <laughs> and I think that that's one, absolutely one of the qualities that you have with your work is that I, I can, I could just randomly look through an album of, of images and I could, I think, yeah, I think Amy Shaw took that one, which is a, um, a really rare thing. But just going back a little bit. So you'd shot this Ferrari P4 and, um, you know, a couple of other, you'd gone to Goodwood Revival for fun. Am I right in saying that you then thought, I know, I'm going to write to Octane and see if they'll yes. give me a job? Is that what you did? <laughs> yes. So, because this is the thing, I'd shot this P4 and it seemed to go down well. Um, and then I went to Revival. And that's it. And then, um, and then Goodwood, I sent the picture to Goodwood on a Facebook message and they saw it like four months later. But I just thought, well, I've got a few car pictures now. The only magazine that I looked at, or, you know, I went to Sainsbury's and looked at the magazines and, and like the car magazines. I thought the only one that interests me from a non-car person and from a visual point is probably Octane. Um, I wasn't that interested in reading about the, the cars. I just like to look at the pictures. <laughs> so I just thought, well, you know, the very um, very front of the magazines, you've got all the contact details of mm -hmm. the editors and the, you know, the picture editors and the art directors. And I just thought, you know, what, I'll just 
I'll just email that chap there. So and... back there well, that would have been David Lillywhite back then, would it? So editing. David Lillywhite, yeah, he was editing. Yeah. But then the guy that was the art guy, art director, was, I can't remember his name now. This is really embarrassing. The, uh, I think it's Rob somebody. Um, he was, but he was so nice. He was so nice to me. I could probably find the email actually, because it's been floating around still. But he was so nice. So he, he basically said, he, I sent him like an email with a couple of um, pictures that I'd shot because the P4 pictures ended up being um, published in Octane. So I had Mark Dixon uh-huh. came down to, um, to uh, to Leicestershire to photograph some um, panning and tracking shots, and but the, the rest of the images are mine. So we both got credited, and I was so proud to have the pictures in, in Octane. Um, and I was basically like, "Hey, I've just taken these pictures of this P4. I don't really know where to go from here." And then they were like, "Come down, bring us like a little portfolio, and let's have a look to see kind of what you've got." And all I had were was like, um, you know, car pictures or, or wedding pictures. So um, so yeah, they basically kept, went and said you know go go away come back when you've got some more kind of panning and tracking shots and i was like yes of course and then i thought i don't know what panning and tracking shots are so <laughs> then i had to google that and i thought how the hell do i hang out the back of a car do i do it out of a window are you strapped in like you know that side of things as well i thought i've yeah. no no idea what what i'm meant to be doing so then i figured all that bit out and i thought ah this is how they do it and it is just hanging out the back of a car with a slower shift speed um and then yeah basically they said just go and see you know show us what you've got basically and that kind of was a real kick for me to try and um yeah learn more about what i needed to know for for the rest of my career but they were so nice to me and um yeah no, I, I actually always would always have to thank them for kind of pushing me in the right direction <laughs> that's a great story it's sort of i suppose like um being a car designer isn't it and like writing to pin in farina and saying you know yes. i draw great cars can i help? can you give me a job <laughs> um but so, okay, Octane sort of said, go away and, and do a little bit more. Did you then, how much work have you done for Octane since? Have you done much for them as it, as it turns I've, out? I've done, a, I've done a good amount, not loads, because I do have, because the other thing is, as we're saying about style, so, so going back to kind of talking about my style, I know that my style doesn't fit everybody and I, I'm okay with that. But also the slight problem with it is that, as you said, I'm, I'm recognised for my style and therefore I can never really change it. I could maybe... I don't know develop it slightly but i could never one day just go you know what i don't like that i'm gonna i'm gonna make it look loads different so i just, I just couldn't do that so um yeah like they've hired me for a number of things and i'm literally i've got about 40 photographs left to edit on you know after i finish this conversation with you and i need to send them a uh a, a shoot which i think is going to be on the cover i'm hoping i hope it's going to be a cover shoot mm-hmm. so but then that would be my second cover for for octane um which i'm I, the first cover i ever got was a, a delorean and it was it was i was so proud again just to go into you know to the shop and see your picture on the cover of the the magazine that i first went to say hey i don't know what i'm doing could you help me and so that was a for me a real achievement in my career so i've worked with them um a, a fair amount not loads and loads but yeah a good amount so um yeah, I think they prefer blacker blacks in their in their pictures, and mine are not quite black; they're more grey black. So <laughs> I have to like tweak them slightly for print. But it's interesting what you said about changing your style because um, a little. I, I once went to there's a Picasso museum in Barcelona, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting because if you if you go and look at Picasso's, and I'm no expert, so I'm well, there are probably going to be listeners that are going to write in uh, Picasso experts. Um, but anyway, it struck me that his early work was just really conventional landscapes. Mm-hmm. You just go, you know, oh, that's a nice forest, field, whatever. And then obviously he started doing this insane abstract um, cubism 
whatever you call it. Yeah. Uh, it shows you what I know about art. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but And that obviously became his distinctive style. But at some point, he literally just went from being doing something very conventional to doing something very out there. But then I suppose also, so Picasso's work isn't for everybody, is it? I mean, you can look at some of that stuff and go, well, I, you know, it's colourful, but I wouldn't want it on my like wall. <laughs> yeah. um, but I suppose that's the thing. If he had just carried on doing landscapes, forests, fields, lakes, trees, he would have just been one of thousands of artists. So he may never have found fame, you know, because that 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 crazy style of his is what people were buying. So I suppose that's kind of true well, with you, right? Well, the, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an architect um, and he was basically saying that when it comes to design, and this is any design, I think it's the same with any art as well, the minute that you try to please everybody, it'll be nice, but it'll never stand out. You have to upset people or to people to go, oh, what is that rubbish? For them to actually, you know, half of the people will say that, half of the people are going to go, that's amazing. What, you know, think about, look about that, that kind of, the, the, the bravery they've done to do that. Like, you know, we all talk about, I don't know, BMW's new grills that look weird shaped or the Nissan Duke or something. And half of us are going to go, what is that? And the other half are going to go, that's different. That's cool. The minute that you try to please everybody, you just become very vanilla and very bland. So um, I think if you try to go into any form of art or design to try and please the masses, then that is a, a quite dangerous thing. And I think that's why social media actually is a bit of a problem because the minute that we try to please the masses in terms of getting as many likes or views or whatever, everything just becomes a bit bland. And I mean, it's, it's all kind of the same things churned out from the same kind of people. And I just get bored personally, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> I don't know, but I like to see something that just make me pause and look and think, ah, that's clever. I wonder you know, how they've done that or why they chose to do that or whatever. And so, um, yeah, it's mm -hmm. nice to see people's work, whether that is artists, you know, music, yeah, photographers that make me think, that's different. That's cool. I don't understand it, but I like it. So, um, yeah, no, you're totally right. I, I think it's interesting. You, you said a bit earlier that you like to include people. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I, I think that's great because I think working for an auction house, as I do, yes, we're selling cars, but actually a lot of people, particularly that I would say the newer, the, the people that have come into the market in more recent years, um, they're kind of buying into a lifestyle as well, aren't they? And um, I would say it was probably less true 50 years ago. People like my dad, I mean, you know, it, there kind of wasn't really, I mean, the, the revival didn't exist. There wasn't, you know, car, old cars weren't cool, really. They were for people that wore cagoules and bubble hats and, <laughs> you know, like talking about carburettors. Um, but as as the hobby has evolved, it, very, it is very much more... Um, a lifestyle orientated thing and 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 it's 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 nice to see cars presented in an environment and in a way which they are intended to be used so when you know and and a car on its own doesn't necessarily do that but when you have people and you see how people are interacting or enjoying the car that's that's so much a part of what people want i think yeah, and I think that's also kind of the key to the future of the classic car world because, you know, if we're if you're not in the classic car world, the majority of the times you see a classic car tends to be when you've got some little doddery fella going on his Sunday morning drive in his Morris Minor and you think, oh, that's nice. But, you know, you get stuck behind them at going 40 miles an hour and you don't realise that you've got, you know, 
these incredible cars like a d-type that can go mm. 140 miles an hour and is r still raced and you just think that's cool or you know just some of these like wrote from you know my life's a lot of a lot of jaguars a lot of e-types so you know we're, we're going at quickly on on a on a road and overtaking you know a little string of traffic and you just think if i was sat in that traffic and seeing that overtake it might be the first time i've ever in my life experienced a classic car be able to actually be driven mm. and it mm. is that lifestyle around and, and the stories around classic cars or, or cars in general um that i think is the way that people are buying into them and i think it's always been a, a case to an extent but more so now especially you know saying the good thing is social media now we can see the way that people are living with these cars um you know like before it might have only been in television and film so we see james bond with this db5 and you think ah i'll get a db5 to feel like james bond whereas now you can look at a wicked you know i follow a, a girl on instagram that's got an awesome truck and i just think ah you know she's not got loads of followers on instagram but i just think i would, I would love to get that that truck lifestyle looks like my kind of thing so you end up getting inspired by normal people everyday people that are just sharing their passion of their car and it doesn't have to be something special it doesn't have to be anything expensive but as you said it is that lifestyle and that kind of feeling that you know you're going to get if you were to drive that car as well so yeah i totally mm. agree <laughs> mm. Mm. so let's go a little bit to your style because and as i say i you know i i i think that a lot of the time at least i could identify one of your pictures without knowing it was one of yours if you go back to doing your wedding photography w w was there a were you were you approaching weddings in a sim i know i know that was very early on so but, you were still yeah. sort of learning your crop but i mean i mean could i look at one of your wedding pictures from back then and look at one of your more recent car pictures and and, and see a connection Absolutely. So my the way that my image look in terms of their their color grading and the editing is still very similar. I've tweaked it over the years just as I've changed what I like and the way that I think the, the images should look. But generally, the way that I shoot and, and the, the, the kind of the baseline is still very similar. So I could still look at old wedding pictures and think, ah, that still looks like my work. And it's quite nice to sometimes have a look through them and think, oh, that's, yeah, that's, I, I still... Like I don't do weddings anymore, but over over lockdown, I did one panic wedding because I hadn't worked for ages, and I thought, oh, I need some need some money here. And uh, yeah, it's it was quite nice to go back to it for once. I wouldn't do it all of the time, but once. And I was like, oh, I still they still feel like my car photos, my old wedding photographs. So yeah, like styles. I think you have a style that you know is kind of inside. This is my cat moss. <laughs> so, uh, you have styles that you always kind of feel that are true to yourself, and then over years, I think they are developed and, and, and changed, but not anything that's kind of a snap decision. And otherwise, I, I don't know, when you when you start off doing anything, you do have those snap changes and thinking, oh, I definitely like that. I definitely don't like that. But kind of once you get settled into something, you don't tend to deviate from it too much because you kind of feel, um, I don't know, quite content in it, I guess. And if you're not, if you're not feeling content in, in what you're producing, regardless of what medium that might be, I think you end up thinking, okay, well, why is that? And let me kind of alter that. Is it, you know, as a writer, I, I imagine writers do the same. They're like, okay, why, why don't I like the way this has been written or why doesn't it feel right? And over years, they might go, ah, I quite like the, you know, writing from this perspective or including, I know this kind of text writing. I'm not a writer, so you can tell I, I don't know. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely something that you you kind of start off with a, a style and it just ends up being tweaked over years rather than ever dramatically changing yeah yeah and you mentioned so i'm not very technical but you mentioned color grading and i think that's mm -hmm. exactly some of your yeah. pictures actually um i saw one i'm going to get this wrong now because i did see it on your website it there's it might be an e-type 
And is it is there a train on a bridge? It's a it's a DBS Aston Martin and oh, okay. it's a train. Yep. Yep, that's the one. That actually looks like a painting. Is that, <laughs> do you find that sort of annoying if somebody says one of your pictures looks like a painting? Because I know no, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, I think that. I mean, I think a lot, a lot of your work does, but that picture, I think in particular, looks like a you know look, looks like a painting. I think it's an amazing piece of Thank work. Thank you. It, it was me and, and the team of people I was with for a watch company um, called Fairer that I'm an ambassador of, and we, we sat basically ready. To ready for this train to come over for an hour and a half. Somebody hadn't read the timetable properly, so we didn't know when it was going to come along. Anyway, then we knew it was getting nearer because some car decided to go and park right in the middle of the shot. So there was there's a video of the say of the moment as well, so you can see the moment where the train's going over and the car's going under. And anyway, it was a it was one of those where it just kind of was all flung together like in the last seconds of because I had to run down this hill say to this car I'm really sorry can, can you just move your car and then I ran it back up the hill and I turned around and I was like train <laughs> so, and then oh, our yeah our driver then was like Le Mans start into the DBS like boom, off, off he goes and and then the drone guy threw the drone up in the air and it was manic um and then yeah just got the, that that shot basically and um it was just one of those where they got very, very drunk that night because they were like, we're done. We don't need to do any more. So, um, yeah, I think if we planned it better, we could have done a lot better. But I kind of like the yeah, there's a whole kind of process of like um, a selection of those that that moment as it unfolds. And I, I quite like the, the whole set, really. Um, but sometimes you just get lucky. You know, you, it's, there's loads of times in my career and, and shots where I've just been at the you know right place right time and i've just got lucky and i just thought i should probably lift my camera at this moment um and there's, there's another shot where uh i got caught um my, my my conversation with somebody got cut short because we got drowned out by this engine starting at revival and i was like oh yeah yeah, yeah i'll see you later and i kind of like walked around this corner just to see what the noise was was going on and all of these exhaust fumes and this this real harsh diagonal shard of light just appeared and i was like oh my god that's amazing and then but uh, you know if i hadn't been chatting to that person that i'd met a year before or whatever you just would have totally missed it and there were a load of other photographers around that, that got the shot as well and um yeah but that's probably one of my one of my favorite shots but it's just kind of noticing and trying to just being ready to to grab your camera so um, and so you go everywhere with a camera do you ever go out without a camera oh yeah like it's well go to say <laughs> yeah although what's funny over covid i thought to myself you know there's not really anything to shoot why don't i just start going you know i, I think i don't think i ended up taking i didn't take a big camera but you know i'm always taking pictures even with my phone as well um because you know my camera's are they're not like things you know they're they're mm -hmm. quite big professional things with big heavy lenses so they don't then they don't they're not light so but i but i still enjoy the process of taking pictures so i will often still take my phone out just to shove pictures up on instagram stories that are just things that i quite like so you know if i had taken a proper camera then it would have they would have there would be a lot a lot better in the terms of quality and and just glass that's used it would have been they'd be a lot nicer but i've no need for them to be nicer they're not, they're not going to go anywhere other than just satisfy yeah. my oh i took a picture and i quite like it so um but like i've just yeah we've just been on holiday this last weekend i took a camera with me you know we were doing some stupid things like playing golf around their garden and just taking pictures of that you know i'm probably never going to show those pictures at all but i quite like the process of taking them um Next week, uh, we're going to, again, go to Scotland, like double holiday um, with with friends. And we're going to do a lot of hill walking. So I was like, right, I'm going to I'm gonna take a camera. And I think that they're, they, they might go stalking. So I'm like, right, 
I'm, it's not something I'm not going to do, but I think to document it is something I've never documented before. So I think it'd be quite interesting. So yeah, a whole world. You spend world a lot of time crawling around on your stomach. And you do, yeah. So then I'm thinking, right, because genuinely, then I'm thinking, right, how am I going to do that with the camera? So I'll just shove it around. Yeah, it'll be fine. But again, I'm thinking, first of all, I'm thinking I'm going to be climbing about four Monroe. So I'm a bit worried about my general fitness. And then you kind of attach a, you know, five, six kilogram camera with a lens on it. And you think, oh, yeah, this will be fine. So, um, yeah, it's but that is the problem, isn't it? I mean, that, I guess that's been the the smartphone revolution, really, isn't it? Because I I have got a, I mean, it's it's nothing to write home about. I have got a DSLR and I've and I've got my old 35 mil film camera as well. And I don't use either of them. Um, and I used to be quite enthusiastic about photography. But then, you know, when when you when you go on holiday and you're walking around and you or you go down to the beach or whatever whatever you're doing you just don't want to carry it's it's liberating not having like like people did you know pre-smartphones if you, you you know people were walking around with all of this stuff hanging around their neck you know and the cameras on i on iphone smartphones that that they are I, a couple of pro photographers in the past have said to me it's phenomenal what you can get yeah with an iphone but I've got a question for you, and because I, I think that this might interest listeners. So, and this sort of taps into what I was just saying, really, about iPhone. So, a, a lot of us use Instagram. So, you've got your iPhone, and you take a photograph of something. You're at Goodwood Revival, and then, of course, you've got all of these amazing filters, and you know, and quite often it will turn a very average picture into something that you go, "Oh, quite yep. like that. This is good. Yep. Um, quite proud of that." Because technology is is so clever now. How much of the finished article is in the quality of the photograph yep. and your camera settings and everything else? And how much of it is in post-production? Is what you do at a, on a laptop actually more more important than what you're doing with your, 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 your aperture settings and your shutter speed? I think it depends on photographer to photographer. So if it came down to doing like, you know, big commercial stuff, a lot of it probably... 70% is in the editing and making sure that everything looks incredible and it's all beautiful. Um, for me, it's probably 70% in camera and 30% editing. And really 30% for me, it's just because it gives that like a spruce and it gives that emotion that I want to put into that picture. Mm. So if you think about film grading as well, like the, if you have a film, if you watch, I know, The Dark Knight and it hadn't got any like editing on it, it would be a great film, but it would miss that emotion that, you know, if you watched a, um, a film without music soundtrack, again, it would it'd be great, but you'd miss what it was trying to tell. So it's just this, this visual cue that actually kind of helps um, tell a story. So, it, you know, look at Breaking Bad. Uh, you know, there was very either yellow, Breaking Bad was a lot of yellow and you just, it, but, or, or I think there's a, the, there was some yellow times and some blue times. It depends on what was going on in, in, in the TV show. And it's just these visual cues that make you feel something or kind of add to that emotion. So for me, my editing is all about adding to that emotion. So I might take a, a great shot in camera, but or I might take a crap shot in camera, but I know that the, the moment was good. So I know that my editing can make it a great shot. So um, if I shot something that was perhaps slightly too underexposed and it was a bit too dark and i but i looked at it, i thought i know that that's going to come out and look really good and really moody i definitely need that editing to help me out so you know when when doing film people would still do ed editing they still do dodging and burning and they would overexpose it or you know expose it to the right level that they needed to so editing has always been a thing so it's just 
in, I think it either enhan enhances or just helps you get to that next 10% that you might want to bring your pictures to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember messing around. We had a dark room at school and, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, with all the chemicals and the, um, you know, the enlarger lamp and all the rest, yeah. of, you know, and you could, you could sort of mess around with all of that. And, uh, and of course, the other thing, which I'd kind of forgotten, but particularly, I, I remember it particularly when I was using Ilford uh, black and white film. <laughs> Because uh, you, you buy all the different film grades, don't you? So if you yeah. want if you want grainy looking pictures, or you want you know, and the different, uh, I forget. You're the expert, but it's, yeah. it's it's the way that the 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 way the film reacts to light, right? Is, yes. Is, is, so you haven't got that component in a digital camera, have you? You kind of do. So on a on a digital camera, you've got a, a sensor, and with your ISO, you can make it more sensitive or less sensitive. So the darker it is, um, you want to make your sensor more sensitive because you want to try and make it see as much as possible. But the the payoff for that is that you'll get a very um, noisy picture. So which is kind of your your grainy your grainy image, um, which is not necessarily a problem but the main thing which we need to think about here is how people are consuming the photographs that you take so as you said if you're the, the majority of the the photographs we now see generally are through our phones that are through a, a screen that's this big that's it's it, there's not they're not physically very big yeah. um you know you see these amazing iphone adverts where there's a massive billboard with it being like this was shot on an iphone 12 or whatever but you're also standing quite far away and not stood in your living room with a, with a you know with a picture on your wall or in a magazine you can actually hold it physically hold it closer to your face and, and think that's a that's a great shot you know the quality of that image is, is amazing and i think that's a big difference that you see between like phone cameras not all phone cameras some are fantastic um and kind of the the actual physical dslr where you're looking through glass rather than a digitized little thing that puts on a fake um yeah blur in the background um that's not to say there's anything wrong with anything with with, with phone photography as well so you know i, I, I again i follow some phone photographers because i admire what you can get with such little equipment um and i think people forget that as well you either think i i don't have any equipment or i need to have all of the equipment and there's a there's a whole sliding scale in the middle so um yeah it's uh i think it just depends on what where you want your pictures to go afterwards if you want to just have them for yourself put them on your own instagram print them off in your own picture in your own photo albums or if you're shooting for a client where you think, ah, this client needs quality because it's going to go wherever it's going to go to. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, if, you're, if you're shooting like, you know, a Ralph Lauren campaign or something, yeah. <laughs> no. all of us have untold thousands of, of digital images. Mm -hmm. They're either sitting on a, you know, they're sitting on a hard drive or they're sitting in the cloud and, and you kind of never go back and you, you never go back and look at them and, and let alone take the effort to go and print them or, um, or, or make the effort to kind of, you know, enlarge them and frame them and hang, hang them on your wall. And I think that's the nice thing still about print. And it's that the great, it's why I'm so pleased that print publications are still a thing mm. because it's the one opportunity where photography really has a, it's an opportunity to shine, isn't it? If you're talking about a double page spread in a glossy magazine, that's yeah. arguably there's no better way to consume photography i mean a, a laptop screen is fine but mm -hmm. but it's not it's not quite the same as as the way it's presented in print
Yeah, like my favorite way to look at photography myself is literally the, the room that I'm in at the moment hasn't got a television because it's got a big coffee table. And the idea is that we wanted it to have a place that we, I, you know, I've got so many photography books that I'm looking at. And to open a heavy photography book and actually just take your time to look at the images and appreciate them. And that rather than just having them flick through a reel on, on, on an Instagram or, or whatever, just actually think what was going through the person who took that photograph's mind at the time and what mm. do they have to do to get there or that you know read you read their writer of what they said i was doing this at this time when i took this picture and that to me makes photography special and rewarding um but that's just how i like to consume photography and you know for for the majority of, of people who are not photographers perhaps they might just go i love you know looking at photographs on instagram and or facebook or you know i just want to see my pictures of my, my, my family and i just think it's however you feel your most joy looking at photography is however you know choose the medium that works for you um i like to, p uh, to print some of my own like personal family photographs and put them into a photo album because as you said otherwise they sit on your phone you don't really ever look at them which is yeah sad, really <laughs> I, I, I mean i i've got some photograph albums at home and some of them are from were my parents you know their mm. sort of childhood but i don't think i've put a i don't think i've got a photograph album with an with a picture in it which probably dates beyond sometime in i don't know mid late 90s and and, and anything since um you know as soon as we started photographing digitally yeah the, the kind of album stopped which is a real shame is it something that, you'd want to change would you, do you reckon you'll, you'll... Well, it, well it is because because you know when you are feeling a bit nostalgic and i pick up a photograph a, an album from the 70s or 80s when i was young um it's lovely to turn the pages and look at all those pictures that you haven't seen for a long time and i i just can't you know, the idea of wading through thousands on a hard drive, I got, you know, I mean, maybe I'll do it one day, but um, anyway, anyway. Wade through um, a few thousand and then uh, take your time, see yeah. what you come across first. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, especially, you know, well, the, the thing is, you come across images that you took 10 years ago, you, you, you didn't even know you had them. You, just, yeah. you know, that's the thing. Um, but Amy, look, thank you. We've, we've been talking for, ooh, 50 minutes oh so goodness. um thank you ever so much for your time and we'll keep an eye out i don't know where we're next going to what magazine or wherever we're going to see your work next but i follow you on instagram and uh, so um any have you got any events anything getting towards the end of the year now we're doing this interview in what is it middle of november yep. have you got anything coming up uh, not really. This is the point where we kind of all start to slow down a bit. So um, I've, a lot of it is I go on my own holidays now. So I'm having my own kind of time off. Uh, I've got a few fun shoots, but they're more like kind of individual day things. And then no, after Christmas, usually the first thing that comes back around after kind of middle of November is Retromobile and some of the yeah. ice racing stuff. So that's going to be the very end of January. So yeah, like kind of November, December, January is my time where I just kind of I look at all my photography books, I, I, I read books and I catch up with my emails because I'm months months behind on emails sometimes um and then yeah just kind of have my own kind of time so or do my own trips so my two um i did two kind of long solo road trips with my with my mini one to one around the north coast 500 scotland and one to the shetland islands and back again and both of those i did in like november's because it's the only time you've kind of got to do them and the light's beautiful and it, all the colors in scotland are gorgeous so um yeah it's the best time for road trips so uh yeah before the salt goes on the road at least well, and good luck with climbing the mountains in Scotland Thank and you. your stalking. And yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's been brilliant to chat. Thank you ever so much. No, thank you so much. Thanks, Amy.